Hi, Jeannie. Hi, Eula. Do you know that you're my hero? You're not going to sing that Bette Midler song, are you? That song oh, drives no, me no. crazy. I can't sing it, but Bette Midler is hero-like. Okay, so, fair enough. So, I mean, here's the thing. Jeannie, you are a full-time mom and partner, right? You receive everything I explain about my black deficit with an open heart, and you speak for me in ways that I'm not allowed to speak for myself as a black woman, which is crazy. Not to mention, you started this show, and it helped us launch a much wider conversation about sexism in the workplace. And I'm so happy we did that. Oh, Eula. Well, have I told you this before? Seriously, you're my hero, too. Honest to God. <laughs> I, As I get teary-eyed. I know. I'm sitting here kind of getting teary-eyed, too. But, like, I was a fangirl of yours. Like, I was a fan of yours before I had ever met you. I was listening to your other podcast, Hella Black, Hella Seattle. And then mm-hmm. I was so excited when I got to do a radio interview with you for KUOW. And basically, after that interview, which was all of 15 minutes long, I asked you to make a podcast about workplace sexism with me. Like, I was just ready. (laughs) And you had your three-month-old with you. Like, you had a three-month-old baby, and you still said yes to this thing. Um, And you've been, like, the greatest partner to work with. I can't imagine making this with anybody else. So, you know, Jeannie, as a Scorpio, I really can't handle this attention. Uh, oh, it's so awkward. Oh, oh. So even more awkwardly, I'm just going to change this, the subject. Okay. So we're not just here to talk about how much we like each other, right? Yes, true. Let's just change the subject. We actually have some pretty big news. Um, mm-hmm. So Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace is ending its run with KUOW. And we are sad about that. But yeah, we are. <laughs> but we're also really grateful to have had the chance to launch and make the show here and absolutely yeah but also KUOW has offered to give ownership of the podcast to us to you and to me Mm -hmm. so it's entirely possible that you and I are going to keep making this show independently Eula that would be really cool It sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds fantastic. So I'm actually really excited about that. And we have so many messages from listeners with great show ideas. And I really want to make those shows. Oh, I cannot wait. Also, you have lots of really good ideas, Eula. You have whole seasons worth of ideas. <laughs> just, oh, I really do. Yeah. Oh, uh, I cannot wait to have conversations. Yeah. And well, okay. And speaking of more episodes, um, Early next year, we are going to release all the bonus episodes we made in our regular feed. So everybody who subscribed to BTSW will see new episodes pop up after the new year. Um, if you want more information about that, you can head on over to our Facebook group, uh, BTSW mm-hmm. Podcast. We've got a bunch of info about that there. It's been kind of amazing to see how this show has taken on a life of its own, right? Yeah. Like, people keep sharing it and discovering it. I keep telling people about it. I, I told my gynecologist recently, yes. and I told, uh, like, a woman in, like, a peanut, this, like, peanut app the other day, which is for, like, new moms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our listeners keep doing the same thing. And you can't keep this show down. No. Like, much like a superhero. Very nice segue, Eula. <laughs> Very you, nicely done. Yeah. That is what our episode is about today. Superheroes and why they matter, and what we can learn from their stories. And we actually got to do this show in front of a live audience here in Seattle on your birthday, no less. Yeah, it was a really amazing way to spend my birthday, (laughs) despite Mercury being in Gatorade, as my partner would say. Oh, what a dad joke. Wow. Shout out to all the people who helped to facilitate. We talked with two of our favorite people, friend of the show and TV critic Melanie McFarland and comic book writer G. Willow Wilson. It was really fun. Okay. All right, let's do this. 
This is BTSW. Battle tactics for your sexist workplace. I'm Eula Scott Bynum. And I'm Jeannie Yandel. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yes. And our first guest has done a lot of thinking about superheroes ever since she watched the old She-Ra cartoons in the 1980s. Yes. So she's written for Wonder Woman, X-Men, created a new Miss Marvel. That deserves an applause. Yes. And she's currently working on relaunching the Sandman series. She's also written three books. She's a mother. Please welcome Willow Wilson. We're so happy to have you. Yes. And we're excited that like She-Ra is one of your inspirations. So yeah. we wanted to oh, yeah. talk to you a little bit about that. So she was your first love. And does everybody here know who She-Ra is? Yeah. I mean, if you have Netflix, you should. So Willow, can you quickly tell us a little bit about She-Ra and who she is? So She-Ra is a princess who is, uh, like so many heroes, born... Uh, not knowing her true identity, and she's kind of uh, caught up in the the horde who are the bad guys in this universe, but then she discovers that she's a princess of power, she gets a magic sword, it causes her entirely ordinary horse to start talking and grow wings. Um, as it does. As, yeah. as, 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 as happens, do. as they yeah. do. And, uh, and then she sort of puts together, together a band of rebels and leads them in a fight against... Uh, the Horde and, and Hordak and all of that great stuff. And uh, so it's it's sort of like a sword and sorcery fantasy, mm. but, uh, you know, with a very sort of female hero focus. Yeah. And it was it was really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was it about She-Ra that you loved so much? Uh, you know, I, th I think it was... I mean, I started watching the series, the, the old one. The new one is great, too. This is the old sort of 80s, you know, cell animation kind of thing. And I think I started watching that when I was about four. Yeah. So I think the first draw was the unicorn. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think very quickly she, she sort of came to define for me uh, what a leader could be. She, she was always sort of the first one into a fight. Yeah. And yet at the same time... She had these wonderful friends, and it was it was very much about her relationships with these people. Um, she had a great costume. She had a sparkly sword. So mm -hmm. I mean, there was really there was really nothing to not love. Yeah, and I was I was mildly obsessed. So was kid. it like a straight line from Shira to writing superhero comics? Like, how did that happen? Yeah. I don't Her know. eyes just got really big, which means it's it, there's a lot there. I, I'm like, wow, this is. I, oftentimes, I find when I when I do interviews like this, it's sort of like free, very scary therapy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, I learn things about myself that I might not have known. There might be it. It might be really that it is a straight line because I I think that media that you are exposed to when you're a kid mm -hmm. really form the basis of your sort of Joseph Campbell masks of God idea of what heroes are and how the universe works. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that DNA could be there. Totally. I mean, I listened to a lot of NPR in the car growing up and it makes sense where I landed. Oh, it's silly. It's so silly. Like, it wasn't my choice. I mean, I was a child. <laughs> so what was it like breaking into the world of superhero comics? I mean, I know you don't look like everybody on the job, and then on top of that, you're writing different things. Yeah, it, you know, it was, it was a strange and, and kind of a convoluted process. I, 
I've always loved comic books, uh, superheroes. I was hugely bigly into the British Invasion comics of, of the late 80s and 90s. And, uh, but it was very unclear how one went about getting that job. And, um, you know, it, 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 I took a very roundabout route. I, after college, moved to Cairo, and I was doing some, uh, you know, journalism, not the kind of journalism you guys do. I would, I would put the kind of journalism I did in sort of air quotes. Um, I mean, I don't know if I count as a journalist, <laughs> but I feel you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I would sort of pester friends of mine in the industry and sort of ask them questions about what, what one does, because then, frankly, as, as now, in many ways, to be a writer in superhero comics or, or any comics at the big two, quote unquote, Marvel and DC, you kind of had to know somebody to put your work in front of. There was no open submissions process. You couldn't use an agent. Um, and so it, it really was writing and refining a script and uh, getting somebody to take it seriously. And then, frankly, it was my very good luck that there were two really wonderful women editors at DC, Joan Hilty and Karen Berger, uh, at Vertigo Comics, who were actively looking for new talent to tell stories that were unlike the other stories that were being told at the time. Yeah. And uh, you know, without them, I, I would not be anywhere right mm -hmm. now. It really does take a woman to find a woman. That's terrible. <laughs> so you said that comics really changed in the 80s and 90s. What were you talking about with that? So, I, you know, I think there was, there was the golden age of comics, the, the age of sort of pulp, when superheroes could, could have this very cheesy delivered dialogue with a totally straight face, uh, you know, and, and provided a lot of sort of the memeable moments in superhero comics that we're familiar with today. And, you know, so back in, in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, comics were prim or superhero comics were primarily for kids. Um, and they were for all kids. It was, it was not a gendered reading material. Mm. My mom, who's 75, talks about reading these, uh, you know, superhero comics and, and detective comics as a kid. Yeah. But then in the 80s, something began to shift and the stories became a lot more metatextual and a lot darker and a lot mm. more violent. And some great stuff came out of that. That's where you have Watchmen. That's where you got The Dark Knight. Yeah. And a lot of these sort of very different, much darker, more adult takes on the superhero genre. But as a result of that, it became less and less a medium for kids and kids in heart and more a medium that was for adults, for collectors, and for men. Yeah. And so that was a big shift. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think the hangover of which we're still sort of feeling the ripples of today. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I learned yeah. about from that time was this idea of um, women characters in comic books getting fridged. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain what fridging is? I don't know if, if everybody here knows what that is. So the fridging is a, is a term... Coined, I, I'm pretty sure, by Gail Simone, who's a wonderful uh, writer of superhero comics. And it's, it's an occurrence that happens far too frequently, at least at one point in history, in superhero comics, in which a prominent female character is killed off or mutilated or, or violated in some way to move the story of a male character along. And the reason it's called fridging is because it originates in a story in which the central female love interest of the male superhero was literally murdered and stuffed into a fridge. 
in order to motivate him to do something. So that's, that's what Phrygia is. So do you think in 2019 we still have a medium with superhero comics where there is a lot of that darkness, that adult stuff, there are just stories for collectors, largely who are men, written by men? Uh, I, I think it's changing rapidly. I, I think the advent of the YA and middle grade graphic novel uh, you know, especially Raina Telgemeier, a lot of the wonderful new um, non-superhero memoir comics that are coming out now and which outsell pretty much all of these superhero comics wow. in production, like just, you know, Raina Telgemeier by herself, I think outsells pretty much all of superhero comics mm. every single month. And, <laughs> you know, publishers w would love to have that audience. And so I think now there's a real sense that, hey, you know, if we shut out three quarters of the reading public, we're losing money. Yeah. So why not make other stories for younger audiences, for more diverse audiences, for boys and girls and other people, and see if we can get more people in the door right. at comic book stores. So I, I think it's beginning to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that. So, you know, we're, we're a podcast that's about workplace sexism. And why do you think, you know, why does it matter for us to see more people and superheroes that look like us to survive the day, you think? I, I think it's important for a couple of different reasons. I, I think, especially in this day and age when, when everybody needs to be in a state of action uh, to sort of prevent various different apocalypses, apocalypse? Yeah. Uh, that are coming There's so our many way. versions out there. You're so right. <laughs> You're so right. There's one that's climate change. There's another that's just missiles. Yes. Oh, man. There's another that's just famine. There's so many, and yeah, they're all sort of barreling toward us. So I, you know, I think in that they are in that unique. But you know, it's important for everybody to feel like they have a role model who models how do you stand up, how do you, in your own capacity as one person, make a difference. And by that same token, I think it's also important for people in the majority to see heroes who don't look like them. Mm -hmm. Because if you've got a black Spider-Man, it's easier to then turn around and vote for a black president yeah. and say, you know, I can have a black role model, I can have... Or even to hire a black man on the job. I hire, yes, exactly. I, I think because the media that we do consume when we're young makes such a huge impression on us, mm -hmm. who we see taking on the mantle of a hero stays with us and affects how we see real heroes in the real world. Absolutely. I, I have to ask, Willow, what is it that you get out of writing superhero stories? Why do you love it? Oh my gosh. Uh, it's, it's so many things. It's being able to, to play with the toys, literally and figuratively, that I was obsessed with as a kid. Um, you know, it, in some ways, it, it feels like being able to script sort of the, the lives of Greek gods or something. You know, mm. it's, 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 it's very much being able to play in that sort of common cultural mythos. Everybody knows who Superman is, even yeah. if they've never picked up a Superman comic. Everybody knows who Wonder Woman is. Um, and so to be able to play a small role in the history of these characters who are going to outlive you yeah. is really, really special. And it's collaborative as well. You work with an artist, you're working with letterers and colorists, whereas you know, when I'm writing a novel, it's just me hunched over my computer by myself. <laughs> you know, having spasms of anxiety. So, I mean, that's a lot less fun. But, you know, I also wouldn't say it's a small role. Do you know what I mean? Like, for me, I think about the comics that I have and how some of them have stuck with me for years and they've stayed in my home or I've read them on trips or I take them with me places. And 
it's you know even if it's one like lane of the story some somebody might have that one book for like 60 years and then hand it down and like hand it down over and over again that's so you know her like heroic Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, when you put it that way, it really does sound. Yeah. Well, don't you have, you <laughs> amazing. Do you have any comics from when you were little? I do. I do yeah. have comics from when I was little. I have, and well, I have more comics from when I was a teenager and started getting into sort of niche stuff. So I have like all 70 single issues of Peter Milligan's Shade the Changing Man, mm. which nobody read but me, but I have all 70. Me and that one guy who just said, oh yeah. <laughs> Us Hell two. Yeah. We're the only ones who read it, but start oh my club. God. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start a club. <laughs> <laughs> for me growing up my favorite were the x-men and the way they included women and they took the time to really like put us into the fold of the problem solving but um at the same time the way that they've played these women when it came to the, all the marvel movies that they made has been really hard for me to watch do you know what i mean you're gonna get me in so much trouble oh, oh. We are gonna talk i just about storm I, a little bit later oh, yeah. well, rogue, I'm, I'm, we're talking about rogue i really loved rogue growing up i thought that she was the most powerful character to not need a man like her whole character on the tv show was like i don't need no man i don't have no time for no man and then she was the strongest most powerful character you know tenfold out of anybody in the space and her sass was so strong but then when they made the movie and she was just like this really sad girl who uh didn't think that she had any purpose in the world um was so hard for me to take in have you ever had any comic books where you like love them on you know in the books but then on on tv they ended up being you know this is this is like (laughs) did you say sex sister yes you did Amazing. This is literally like the daily conversation on comics Twitter, mm. comics Reddit, whatever it still exists. You know, it, it, it really, really is. I, I think the conversation about translation of book characters to film mm-hmm. is, is huge for a number of different reasons. And you know, there's always arguments. It's a huge fan argument. Who are you going to cast? And then the person gets cast. And whoever was like, well, I fan cast this other person gets upset. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's sort of its own ongoing, never ceasing debate. Um, you know, but, but for me, it's, it's, I don't know. It, again, the stuff that you see as a kid really sticks with me, you. And I was, you know, like you, a huge fan of the 90s Fox Kids X-Men TV show. My favorite character was Storm, in no small part because the voice actress that played her was, like me, a contralto. I've had this voice since I was five. And so, you know, I was like, oh man, she's such a badass. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and she's and a contralto. Halle Berry came along. Well, like, I-, I love Halle Berry. Do I love you? Halle- I-, I love Halle Berry. <laughs> she, was, she was voted worst actress of all time. Oh man. That's not fair. I, I mean, mean if you I see think. Her in a movie, Since since this is a Fox movie and not actually a Marvel movie, I will say this: I thought she was given the most garbage lines. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like she's That's such a true. great character, and they're like, "Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning?" And you're like, "Wait, what? <laughs> what are you? <laughs> this is going to be the big storm line in this movie?" Yeah. So I don't know. I think it was she was she was cheated out of out of. You know, it was a meteor like, role. It was almost <laughs> like they saw all oper- like, like they read the first like iterations of, of X Men and they saw like the uh, the non bias of it. They were like, it's meant for all kids, and they were like, we gotta add some sexism in here. <laughs> like we have to make sure that we like make it appropriate for the '90s and the 2000s. Like it's a new day, day and age. How would they do this with uh, MTV? You yeah. Know? 
How do you and your daughters experience superheroes together? Oh my goodness. I, I'm going to be so interested to see what their perception of this period of their childhood is going to be when they get a bit older because they've grown up around comics and in comics shops and around superheroes and I'm pretty sure that when they were really small, they thought that Ms. Marvel was a real person and I was just sort of like Dr. Watson following her around with a notebook. Wow. <laughs> um, because the first time I was with them at a signing or something and a cosplayer came in, they had the look on their face that kids get when they see like a mall Santa where they're like, oh my God, she's here. Ms. Marvel is in the building. Like, you know, because they were like three and four and... You know, and this cosplayer was, you know, extremely nice and, and, you know, like shook their hands and they were like, whoa, I was shaking the hand of Ms. Marvel. So, you know, like it's just so cool to see that this is their experience. Yeah. And now, of course, they're older and the mall Santa thing has worn off and they've seen enough cosplayers that they know it's just a costume. But, you know, it, it, it's still, whenever I take, especially my younger daughter anywhere and I introduce her to someone, she'll be like, my mom writes Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Willow Wilson, comic book writer and novelist. Thank you so much for talking with us. Mm. Except you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going anywhere. I know, this but is we fun. should applaud Willow again, right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yes. Okay. We are going to talk more about superheroes with our next guest, Salon.com television critic and Vice President of the TV Critics Association, Melanie McFarlane! Hi, Melanie! Hello, can we talk about Storm? I have things to say, oh, yeah. You're gonna talk about Storm again. Oh, good. It got yeah. heated backstage. You guys probably didn't realize that this was the all Storm. I know. Surprise! <laughs> yeah, all but storm, before we get storm. into Storm, yeah. we are going to ask you another question about catharsis. Okay. Oh, yeah. So you have talked to us in the past about the catharsis that you can get from watching superheroes. Mm -hmm. What did you mean by that? Where is their catharsis? I think that there, particularly with, uh, when we're talking about female superheroes, there's a lot of catharsis in the moment where they finally let go. Um, you know, I think about, like the, the Wonder Woman movie, if you think about, there are two moments in that movie that I think really moved me. One of them moved me to tears was the no man's land scene, where she yeah. would not be limited. And she was just like, no, nope, you guys can go that way, that is not me. And that's where she becomes Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing catharsis of this person who's just like, I have this power, I'm not gonna hold it back anymore. If you I'm haven't going seen the to. movie, yeah. Right? It's a part where like no man is gonna walk into this area of the war because like the chances of living are like zero to none. Right. It but was actually called no man's land because mm -hmm. no man had been able to cross it for some But I you mean, know what we need less knows, of but, you know. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the end when she finally does let go and she's just in that rage, but then she realizes that it's not it's it's the rage at the evils of the world. And if she just completely just is indifferent to you know friend and foe and that kind of thing, and not looking at the greater goal, the greater good, then it's the destruction that she's going to wreak is going to be um, more toxic than whatever she was going to be fighting. And so she pulls back, and then she realizes and she focuses on on Hades and 
and eventually is victorious. So that's when you think about catharsis, these are all these, um, the greatest superhero stories to me are the ones that provide these metaphors for our own lives. You know, particularly, you know, if you look at female superheroes and there are so many instances in their storylines where they have to contend with being held back. Um, and finally, when they're able to just let go with their abilities and realize themselves in full flower, then that's where their power is. Yeah. And so, I mean, in this day and age, I feel like it's a silly question, but like, why do you think we need that kind of catharsis in our lives? Really? You're going to ask me this question? Because <laughs> some people don't know what we need yet. You know? I mean, there, there are people out there who may... It's interesting because comics were such a nerdy world in mm -hmm. the beginning. It was such a weird thing to walk around and be adamantly interested in uh, drawings. Right. Right. And right. in 2019, you get to like really just spread it and say it loud. Like I get to wear like a, you know, a Disney character on my shirt and pins with Steven Universe everywhere I go. And it's mm -hmm. not a big deal. But there are people out there who haven't found that place yet where they can see themselves yet. And so for them, maybe, why, why should they come over to the comic book world in the comics? Well, I mean, the you, there's so much there's so much about the comic book world that's on television right now. I mean, if you look at, you know, let's take, for instance, right now on CBS, there's a program on by um, the two creators of The Good Wife and The Good Fight, which are excellent shows, but very straight shows. They have a show on called Evil. Mm. And that show, you can look at it and say, okay, it's based on, you know, um, this whole idea that, you know, as, as a Catholic, I can relate to it, like, there are <laughs> demons, have to be exercised. But that show would not be on television, I don't think, if not for the proliferation of comic books yeah. and that whole idea of the good and evil binary that I think dominates that universe. Now, of course, a lot of people who are comic book fans would say the entire um, draw of comic books is that there are so many you know, villains that aren't necessarily all bad. I mean, Magneto, like he has this side of him that everyone wants to bring over to the good side and sometimes he comes over. Um, and same thing with the good guys. But I think that that particular show is the fact that it's on CBS, which is the most staid and plain, yeah. you know, paced night work you could possibly think of. Mm -hmm. No, it, it is. And, mm -hmm. it, it is, come on now. But I mean, <laughs> Yeah, but it is. I mean, and, and there's this show that's on there. And then conversely, in the same family on the CW, you have nothing but superheroes. Mm -hmm. um, last season of Arrow, you have Batwoman on this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have Supergirl. So, I mean, I think that there's this huge appeal, and I think that there are a lot of opportunities to explore when you're talking about catharsis and mm -hmm. bring over. I think this particular time is so rich with so many different... Uh, elements of comic book storytelling. And I don't think that there's been an era where that's been the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to read you all something that um, uh, one of our listeners wrote in our Facebook group. Uh, her name's Laura, and she wrote, um, I named my daughter Penelope from Homer's Odyssey because Penelope was smarter and more thoughtful than a group of men. She's certainly one of literature's first strong women. Now, you know, Penelope was not a superhero, even Odysseus was not really a superhero, but obviously in the Odyssey, Penelope is not the hero. Um, I thought this was interesting because I feel like Laura did something that I have often done, which is like, if the hero doesn't speak to me, like I'm gonna find somebody else in that story who does. You're both nodding. I'm wondering, like Willow, was this a common experience for you? Is that something that resonates with you? I think that's a really interesting observation. I, I think, it's, it's so tempting to kind of read into the interior lives of these characters who in dramas written historically by men are kind of considered 
secondary people. You know, like they come on, they have a few lines, they walk off again. And it, it, it's, it's interesting to now go back and be like, hey, wait a minute. These women had agency. They had their own stories. You could just have easily have told the Odyssey from the perspective of Penelope. And you would have gotten a very different story, but one that would still have had something, I think, really significant to say. And as you were saying that, the thing that popped into my head was Dulcinea from uh, Don Quixote. The same thing. What if it was about her and not about this, you know, kind of slightly crazy guy who goes off and decides to be a knight errant? Um, <laughs> And what's interesting is that now we are kind of reconsidering those stories from those points of view, the points of view of the characters who historically we considered secondary characters and asking ourselves why were they the secondary characters and what happens if you put them at the center of the story. And I think there's, there's something really powerful when you do that. What about you, Melanie? Does, come, does any character come to mind? I can't even think of a sub-character because I can't think of characters where I saw myself really. Hmm. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis books is Until We Have Faces. I don't know if anyone has read that. And it is essentially um, a, um, a take on the Cupid myth, which is basically one of the basis for, like, what, oh my gosh, why, I can't believe, but it's a basis <laughs> for a very famous fairy tale. Anyway, so the whole idea of the main fairy tale is, is about a princess who gets whisked away, Beauty and the Beast. It gets whisked away. The that Stockholm one. Syndrome one. That yeah. one. Yes, the Stockholm Syndrome fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, the, this is the original myth where basically what it is is about a princess who gets whisked away to a magic castle and there is a herald who comes to her parents and says, I, I, my master wants to marry your daughter. But in order to marry, they, she has to stay with him for a year and never look at his face. So the other princesses are really wary of this and they go up and visit her and she's on a mountain and she's in rags and there's no castle there. And she obviously is like, you have been bewitched. So we're gonna give you this candle and uh, go ahead and when he comes to you in the night, light the candle so you can see his face. And so it happens to be the last night of the test, she lights the candle and it's Cupid. And he said, if you married me, hey, you could have lived with me and my, my mom, Aphrodite, it would have been great. But sorry, you didn't pass the Not test. Not weird at all. You're cursed forever. See you later, mom. Was he a baby? No, he was. <laughs> he was not baby Cupid. Okay. That's the only Cupid I know. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's, it's ancient times. Um, but the whole story was about the sisters because if you look at all those other fairy tales, it's always the sisters who are ugly and cursed and jealous, and mm. you know, we're we're never going to be amount to anything, and they were scheming against the beautiful daughter. But this was about one of the other daughters who um, was not the beautiful one and was always um, considered to be the lesser of all of her sisters, but she was the smartest. She actually ended up ruling the kingdom. She was a fierce warrior, but she was just never respected because she was never ladylike. Mm. And that's one of the reasons that I loved that particular fairy tale. Because me, I was like, yeah, that sounds like me. That sounds, yeah. I, I could do that. Yeah. I don't have to go up and like roam around in a mountain hoping somebody's gonna marry me. I'll just, you know. Yeah, down here. Yeah, with a candle. All right, keep the candle. (laughs) So Willow, when we were talking earlier, you talked about She-Ra being imperfect, and Melanie, you've talked about uh, characters you've loved that are also imperfect. Sure. Why do we think it's important to have imperfections in our heroes? Why do we need imperfect heroes? Because it makes them human. I mean, that's the whole thing. If you have. 
a, abs an absolute perfect hero, then there's no way that, that we could really truly relate to them, right? I mean, even if a hero is jealous and they're perfect in everything but this one you know, particular flaw, they happen to be jealous. I think that's, that's really not enough. I mean, that's, I think that's why when we go back to the X-Men, all of the X-Men have um, these, these characteristics that are very, very human and they have vulnerabilities that are not necessarily physical. It's not like kryptonite, they're emotional and they're psychological and a lot of times that's their undoing. Can we please talk about Storm? Because oh my God, I was right literally just gonna ask, okay. This is a question for Eula Scott Bino. Oh, me? Yes. I'm here. Will there ever be a better comic book hero than Storm from the X-Men? Mmm. I'm just, I'm just lobbing it up for you. Let's so go. So her powers, no. I mean, the idea that you can, you can summon the entire universe of, to get your back in the winds and the earth. Because the thing that I like about Storm is she, when she flies, it's not her flying. It's not like Rogue. Miss Marvel, but it's more like, um, you know, she actually summons wind underneath her wing, wings, and then she summons everything that comes its way, and so her attachment to the world and the universe is just too big. I mean, like, where could you trap her where she couldn't find air? Space. Thank you. you said space? But even in space, I mean, I think that the universe calls to her that way. I mean, no, that's true, that is true. Because there's, there's, there are clouds in, on Saturn, Superhero science storm? is the best. <laughs> Superhero science. Melanie, what do you think about Storm? I actually want to address the imposter syndrome thing. I don't know who voted for Storm as um, someone who has imposter syndrome, but I've got to just say, shame on you. That's me. And here is why. Um, in the comic book, um, did you read the comic book where Storm became the storyline, where she became the leader of the X-Men? No, the leader of the X-Men. No. Wait, you didn't know this whole thing? No, I've seen, I mean, I think it's, I'm it's, about to walk up. Take me, take me there. Please don't leave. All right, all right. So this is how Storm becomes leader of the X-Men. Xavier dies, I no. assume. What? No. In a he wheels off? No. <laughs> These guesses are terrible. Okay. All right, so Cyclops was the leader of the X-Men. This is actually a very, very bad, like, almost like, a little bit like, offensive to my feminism story initially. Mm -hmm. Cyclops is the leader, and he has, um, was Madeline Pryor's wife, lover, do you At remember? At that point? I don't, oh God. I don't know, I, yeah. I, I, they were together. I, I, I dislike Madeline Pryor. No, well, you're <laughs> like, find out why. I'm gonna get fired tomorrow. Well, you're gonna find out <laughs> why, maybe. Um, so anyway, they have a baby, and Madeline's like, I can't raise this baby by myself if you're off being the lead of the X-Men. And there's actually a scene where, I think it's a drawing where you see everybody cooing over the baby but Cyclops in the corner going, wah. Oh. So, that's his baby. That's his baby. Oh. And so she's saying, like, you need to step down and help me take care of this infant. And he's like, I don't know, I'm the leader of the X-Men. And finally Storm's like, you know what, she's right. I can lead the X-Men. Yeah. Challenge. Storm at this point did not have any powers. And Cyclops, if you guys are familiar with the comic book, he has to wear these ruby glasses because he has these massive laser beams that shoot out of his mm -hmm. eyes and he has to be able to control them or else he would destroy the entire room. So he fights her with his powers and she wins because she's able to sneak up on him, have stealth. She defeats him, he yields. Yeah. And so she becomes leader of the X-Men. Right? That's dope. With it wouldn't be no hard to beat Scott, though. Powers. Scott's not impressive to me. Right. Are you talking about battle tactics? I mean, yeah. come on now. Yeah, for real. Oh. For real. So, all right. So then, you know, 
as part of this, there's a point where they're in the field when she gets her powers back. There's a demon that takes over a city. Mm. Was it Nazareth? It's a big, big storyline. Anyway, so at one point they subdue him, and he keeps on coming back. So they subdue him, and they're like, great, we've got him, now we're going to lock him up. She goes ahead and takes her powers and destroys him. Yeah. And Cyclops goes into like, who gives you the right to do that? And she's like, I lead the X-Men. <laughs> I'm your boss. Yeah. You're on paternity leave. <laughs> Go take care of your kids. The ones you don't. Now, here's where the Madeline Pryor hatred might come in. So later, Madeline Pryor becomes, was it Firestorm? Wait, I'm going to stop for a second. Who here knows who Madeline Pryor is? There's a couple of people. Do you know who Jean Jean, Jean Grey is? Jean Grey, I know who Jean is. Okay, Madeline Pryor is Jean Grey's clone. (gasps) Yes. And she would marry Scott. Right, right, yeah. So then Madeline goes, goes dark. And at one point, she's just like taunting Scott. And she goes, you know, actually, before I manifested my powers, all of my psychic abilities were latent, and I didn't want you to become the leader of the X-Men, so really, I'm the reason you lost. You would have won if it weren't for me, so I made you not be the... So she took the win away from Storm. Gross. Hashtag patriarchy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... I mean, it's like Jean can't make a good decision even when she's not herself. Right? Right. Oh, my God. But still, Storm was like, I won anyway. Yeah. And so she's, you know, still doing her thing. Oh. So that is not somebody, I think, who has imposter syndrome. You wouldn't be able to, if you had imposter syndrome, go up into someone who has superpowers without yours and say, I'm going to challenge you. Yeah, I could see and that. And win. Yeah. And maybe because she's an orphan, too, she might have less attachment to, like, the goals she's supposed to, like, keep going with for her family lineage, which, you know. And right. she's, like, queen of, like, six right. different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was worshipped as a goddess. She was briefly queen of Wakanda in the timeline where she was married to Black Panther. Right? Mm-hmm. She was queen of the people who live in the sewer. What are those? The ones where she defeats their leader? <laughs> And now I'm talking about the, be a professor. <laughs> oh, the short haircut. My okay. the short haircut. I'm just gonna ma- I'm just gonna come clean. I was the one who put Storm in that imposter syndrome hole. <laughs> no, I put it. I will just and I regret that decision. I regret it so deeply right now. Shame. I mean, I, mean, I, know, I know. I know. Melanie, the way you're looking at me, I feel <laughs> really, really, really bad about this. So can we say though that we think Storm was a good leader? Was she a good leader? She was a good oh, leader. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She made the hard decisions. And even though and even though she had a dude challenging her, yeah. you know, both sometimes a Gary, sometimes an Ian coming or an Aiden coming yeah. up and being like, Hey, you could have just read that demon as rights. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So- you know, we kind of already asked this question, but with you, Melanie, it's so different because you know, like, the TV world so well, and you know the comics book, these comic books so well, too. What do you think about the way Storm was written and then, per, like, portrayed in the movies? Oh, terrible. It was what? terrible. For that exact reason, when you said that line, I remember, actually, I think we went on the opening weekend of that first X-Men movie, and I remember there was a point, I think, didn't Storm get knocked down a chute? Or something oh nutty. And then all of a sudden, you saw the lightning. And people in the audience were applauding. And then she floats up. And Halle Berry's eyes are glowing. are like, oh, it's on now. Yeah. And then, do you know what lightning does to a, a toad? toad? And you're like, wait, like, what? What is, wait a second. What's happening here? And I think the answer was exactly what you think it does. You're like, yeah. The same thing that happens to everything yeah. else. Yeah, see, oh, that's not Hallie's fault. Duh. Like, no, whoever wrote that line. Like, Even she, she was upset. But, you know, you can't be upset with Halle Berry. Well, you can be upset with her for doing the cat one thing. But have you seen her in the latest John Wick, though? 
No. Mm. I haven't seen the John Wick. Check it out. Okay. What? Mm. I, I'm not as big of a Keanu Reeves fan as the average person. Oh. I know oh the average God. person, this one, <laughs> is really a big fan of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, some of us didn't just weren't there at the moment. Right. My parents are in their, you know, 60s and 70s and mm-hmm. 70s and 80s. Yeah, so I didn't get cool. I, like, skipped it. It's like, when I'm in my teens, I was listening to jazz and shit. <laughs> well, those movies are entirely different conversation because I think they are in, they're interesting in other ways, but yeah. It does make me wonder, though. I mean, John Wick doesn't necessarily count here, but certainly X-Men count, Wonder Woman counts, Superman counts, Batman counts, Spider-Man. Man, The reboot of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer counts. Like, why do we keep telling these superhero stories over and over again? Willow, what do you think? Okay, do, do you want the Joseph Campbell answer or the capitalist answer? Oh my God! <laughs> I think you just gave the capitalist answer. Yeah. Actually. yeah. So maybe go with the Joseph Campbell mm-hmm. answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think you know, much like earlier forms of mythology, we we reboot and reinvent them to serve different needs as history changes. Uh, I, I think superheroes, much like the Greek gods of the past and and similar forms of of storytelling have within them the lessons that we need in that moment. And as history goes on, the things that we need from those heroes changes. And so we reboot them, we give them different backstories, we switch their histories around, we, we make their circumstances mirror our own more closely so that we can glean from them that which we need to know. And uh, so, I mean, I, like, if you look at the old gods, I've, I've spent a lot of time with them because of the whole Wonder Woman thing, but they get rebooted a lot over yeah. history. Like, if you look at the earliest versions of some of those stories, and then you look at Ovid, who just sort of, like, rewrote the whole thing, you know, it, it, they did change over the period, over the course of centuries. I mean, now we sort of reboot them every time a studio gets sold to somebody else. Mm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know... <laughs> But I think that that same hunger is there. Oh, I know who that character is, but what do they have to say now that they didn't have to say 40 or 50 years ago? Yeah. What about you, Melanie? Why do you think we keep telling these stories? Um, for many of the same reasons. I think that the thing that is really interesting, particularly starting in the last century, was the element of the chosen one myth narrative. Um, my, my earliest experience with that was The Wizard of Oz, with Dorothy being the chosen one. Um, and then that goes right up to my love of Buffy and my love of Xena. Um, I think that there are these different elements of myth that allow us to believe that there's superior nature within, believe in the superior nature within all of us, um, and not just something that explains elements that are outside of our control. I think that's the difference between myth. I mean, a lot of myth is to explain, like, why does the sun go across the sky? Because there is a man up there with a chariot. You know, why does this happen? Why, you know, why explaining what greed is, the origins of different things? Whereas I think that the narratives that speak to us in terms of superheroes bring that into our lives, as in, you know, that's why people like to think about putting on the costume of who would you be? Would you rather be invisible or be able to fly? Like those kinds of things. I think some of the best ones that speak to us now are the ones that kind of play with the possibility of you could be the slayer. There are elements of the slayer in all of us. There are elements of that warrior princess in all of us. Um, those kinds of things. So that's that's what I, I think. Yeah. 
have the costumes gotten better for as the time has gone by? Like, are women looking better on? In I think that Sister Knight on Watchmen has an amazing yeah. costume. Yeah, for real. If you haven't seen that costume, it's yeah. amazing. She, yeah, she's like a she's like a what a nun almost coming in to kick butt. Yeah, that's exactly what she yeah. is. Yeah, it's she got amazing. It. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Should we start talking tactics now? Tactics! My <laughs> favorite! Always. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Melanie, like, what tactics have you taken from some, you know, the lady superheroes that you've experienced? So, I've talked a lot about, I've talked previously about Ripley and the lesson of Ripley in the workplace. Does everybody know who we're talking about here? From Ripley, Aliens. From the Aliens movies? Okay. And the lesson of Ripley is that no matter what, there's never a time that you can't keep on fighting because even when you think you've slayed the alien, it's the alien, they're gonna come back, they're a legion. <laughs> um, but I would also say like um, one, of the, one of the tactics that I've adopted um, is, has anybody in here, I'm, I'm assuming that people here have seen Firefly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Zoe is an incredible leader. And she, you know, everyone sees Mal as the big hero, but Zoe's the real leader. She has a, a level head. She speaks low and she speaks surely and everything she says is solid. And um, I've had people say like, yeah, but she calls Mal sir. I'm like, uh, that's just from back on the battlefield. Um, she doesn't do that for everybody. Um, and it's, it's, for her, it seems to be delineating a line between this is our relationship. It's high, It's professional, and we're partners, and we trust each other. Um, it doesn't have the classic connotation of sir. Um, to me, like she is, when I think about when I want to put on some sort of costume of identity when I'm facing something down, I really think about her, and how solid she is. That's cool. Mm. That's really cool. That's great. Ooh. Willow, what about you? I think what superheroes do really well is teach us to overcome bystander syndrome. There always has to be a first person who is willing to say this is not okay, who is willing to get in between the person doing the hurting and the person being hurt. And I think superheroes do that really effectively. Somebody's got to be that first person to say, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to put my body in between these two people. and overcome that embarrassment and that fear and what if it goes wrong and what if I get hurt because somebody will get hurt. And you know, I think that's incredibly powerful and that's why I think we all get goosebumps when in the superhero origin movie the, they put on their costume for the first time and something bad is happening and you think, oh, all hope is lost and then bam, there's Spider-Man, there's Batman, there's you know whoever it is, you're like, yes! Somebody is putting themselves in the line of fire and saying, we can't be bystanders anymore. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Man, that's, that's beautiful. And I can relate so much, I feel like. I'm constantly jumping into things, I feel like. <laughs> oh, man. And it's interesting because I was thinking, I had a, a weird moment yesterday like that, and I was thinking later, like, I'm the kind of person where I'll speak up and tell a person to their face what the issue is, and everyone else in the world will just carry that, either you know, give you a one star later, and, and like where I would never give you a one star, I would just tell you this is a bad ride or something like that. But there, are, everybody else would just give a one star and move on and ruin your income. You know what I mean? But it, it takes it, it's interesting. I don't think of myself as a hero though at all. Oh. But when you no, don't do that. But um, sorry. 
Sorry, I don't. I cry very easily, and Jean knows that. Um, but when you were saying the thing about like what what character you put on, I was thinking, ooh, I would put on Toph from the Avatar. Oh my gosh, yeah. Toph is amazing. If, I, if I'm thinking about who I'm walking into a room, if I really want to boss up and like really be the person I want to portray at all times, you know, whenever I'm feeling strong, it would be Toph because there wasn't a moment. There was never a moment. She was the complete opposite of Jean Grey, right? Where Jean had moments of strength and moments of weakness. It's like Toph was just like 100%. Bitch, I'm tough. Excuse me. Miss, I'm tough. <laughs> I'm not taking anything ever. And I won't take it when I'm old. I won't take it when I'm young. I won't take it when I'm blind. And I won't take it. I just won't take it. Yeah. So I would say Toph is my I put on. And then the other thing I was thinking of when you said that is, you know, what, what I've learned from the Avatar, there's this great episode in Korra where they do that throwback episode where they go back to like the very first Avatar ever. And I watched that episode like 20 times because it talks about, oh, this is so good for me. It talks about good and evil and how they birth each other. And I've been dealing a lot with that lately with like, there's so much evil. And then I'm like, no, 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 there's so much good. And you know, they counteract each other. And the good right now is just on Instagram. And eventually, <laughs> and eventually we'll all get off and we'll fight the evil and it'll be fine. We're just in the middle of something right now. I was just thinking about one of the things that I love about some of my favorite superhero movies involving women. They have something in common. There's a scene, and this is in the last episode of Buffy. And it's also in Captain Marvel. There's a scene of women getting knocked down and standing up. And those scenes always make me tear up. You know, because that's, that's life, right? That's bravery. And I think that's um, one of the things that I always love seeing those in hero movies because that's just a reminder that not everybody is always going to be able to speed through life like a speeding, like a, like a like speeding train or with any kind of strength and it never knocks them down but they always find a way to stand up and sometimes and I love in Captain Marvel she was bruised you know and even when she was in um, you know in training that she was they were making fun of her and it didn't look like she was going to make but she got up and now she's the most powerful hero, hero in the universe mm -hmm. I love that idea of who you put on the identity you put on to face down something Willow is there somebody for you is there an identity for you Oh gosh, um, <laughs> you know, that's an, that's an excellent question. I, I think when I became a mom, I, when you become a parent, you kind of have to become a superhero, whether you signed up for that particular job yeah. or not, because that's how your kid sees you. You are sort of the ultimate protector and shaper of their entire world. And I mean, man, it, it really causes you to sort of reevaluate a lot of things about yourself. Like all that work that you thought you had your whole life to do on yourself, you have to do in the next five years before they learn how to talk pretty good. Um, and, and man, it, it changes your relationship to, to, to like your own personality. Yeah. You know, it's not like having a secret identity per se or putting on a mask. It's, it's almost like having to be the one who gets up even when you don't feel like it and you haven't had sleep in the last three years. And yep. you know, like you, you just, you yep. feel like your absolute worst. But you and have Jimmy to be... Olsen's just behind you taking notes every day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you just have to be that person. So and it, it really does drive home that we do all have that little seed of something greater within us. Mm -hmm. And there is something that calls on us to, to be that, that person. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, you know we all have those origin stories. Yeah. So it, it's been it's been interesting to see that. And I mean, it, I I think you try to do it honestly, right? Because if it's you're Jekyll and Hyde, and like you're 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 secretly a terrible person, but you're just sort of pretending, then you're not sending the right signal. Right. So it, it really is about making those two parts of yourself mesh. Like you have to be that person that you present, yeah. Because you're you're teaching values that that tiny little kid is going to sort of carry with them mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives. Not to get super heavy, jeez. No, sure. <laughs> so true. Yeah, they, they can read hypocrisy for sure. Yes. yes. Yeah, I mean that's how Jean killed her mom. <laughs> yeah. Well, it stuck with you, didn't it? That's how she killed her mom. Her mom was being yeah. a hypocrite. Not a lot of Jean Grey fans in this room. Wow. This is yeah. this is this is getting heated, man. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask about consuming these stories, though, too. How to do that tactically? I mean, mm -hmm. as as it should be evidently like clear here that you know, sort of consuming stories about Storm in the X Men movies is a problem. Yeah. Don't do right? it. Right. Start with the comic. You don't really get a sense of who Storm is from that. So. I don't know. I'll start with you, Melanie. How do you think we, we consume these tactically? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that is a, that's a really good question. I don't necessarily know if I know the answer for that. Um, I mean, even think about, um, for instance, with Disney Plus, you have The Mandalorian coming, right? Mm -hmm. And that's going to be a story that actually talks about the origins of where, um, where Boba Fett's people are coming from. It's actually okay. going to be a reimagining of that. Um, hmm. Nothing has really been released on it. You see some things of female characters in it um, in apparently very powerful roles, which is great. Um, but again, there are going to be those instances where I'm, there's going to be a lot of interest of people talking about it, and nobody really knows how that's going to filter down. Um, I think that a lot of times when I talk to people, particularly since we're talking about the Star Wars universe, um, we haven't really talked a lot about Rey, which no, is interesting. Rey is a controversial character because I think that there are a lot of old school Star Wars fans who do not like her, and I think that there's a lot of um, reasons to love her. Um, but, uh, you know, she's a character who is built by a series of, in a universe that's very, male focused and yet had one of the strongest most beloved female characters in all of fandom right um so everybody talks about ray but nobody really talks a whole lot about rogue one and how that was like just a great resistance tale completely centered on a woman mm -hmm. um so I think when you're talking about how do we consume those things, I think having that awareness, um, first of all, of who's telling the story and what it's telling us, because I don't necessarily think that you know men can't tell good feminist positive stories. I think that's absolutely possible. Um, but really being aware of like, if we're looking at you know a certain like a certain comic book movie, like we're talking about Storm, you know, the, if Storm is defined for you by Brian Singer, or by, or by you know the cartoon, and I love the cartoon just like you did. But I also had the context of the comic books, which again weren't perfect for the reasons I said. You know, I think it's just a way of just. I guess the answer is being broad, but being very focused on what is it that you want to take from this. Yeah. It's um, a very long way of saying that there's a lot of imperfect materials out there, a lot of imperfect stories about the same subject matter, and the only thing we can do is really be conscious of what we want to take from it. I think like um, Avatar is great. Avatar, the animated series, is excellent. Mm -hmm. Avatar, the movie, is a piece of trash. Oh. <laughs> 
you know? Um, so, I mean, that's a great example. It's same universe, same, same characters, very different interpretations, and one of them is beautiful, and the other... For disrespectful. The, yeah, completely disrespectful. Will, so what I mean, do you yeah, think? Just being aware. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, that's okay. I'm just rambling. <laughs> Willow, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. You know, it, it's one of those things where it's difficult to know kind of ahead of time what you're getting into. And I, I think because there's so much signal to noise and so much, I mean, great conversation, frankly, that I that I love to kind of lurk and, and watch on, on Twitter and Facebook and all of these different social media. But it, it's, it becomes almost difficult, it becomes difficult to separate those conversations from the story itself. And so I think what's sort of challenging is deciding Am I going to, you know, like watch this movie or read this book or go to this thing based on the opinions that I see on the internet? Uh, you know, am I going to be, you know, sort of one of these very, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't, I don't even know. You know, these people. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, like some people are these ultra rational like no I will I will state no judgment until I've seen the whole thing from beginning to end myself and formed my own opinion um, you know and other people are like well that's great but then you've already given them your money so what happens then and it's really difficult <laughs> to know I mean we're, we're in again you know sort of the Joseph Campbell answer versus the capitalist answer we're at a point where it's it's very difficult to separate how do we have productive conversations about these stories from where are we spending our money right. And it's, I don't really know what the solution is because, you know, in an, in an ideal world, I would say, yes, obviously, you should watch something all the way through before you form an opinion about it. You should read something all the way through before you form an opinion about it. But, you know, living in the end times as we do, <laughs> when, everybody, when everybody understandably does not want to line the pockets of the people who are bringing in multiple of these oncoming apocalypti. <laughs> One of your only, like, one of your five minutes or one of your two hours. One of your two hours, yeah. right? Yeah, that these conversations become incredibly important. But uh, you know, but by that same token, then it's how do how do you filter the signal to noise? I don't have any answers. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have any answers to that. So I'll say that one thing I've been told, that, like with kids at least, is it's really valuable to watch TV with your children, not to just let them have access to something on their own, yes. and then to you know be there correcting things as they happen. You know, right. so if something really sexist happens on the screen, I'll just tell Libby like that's not real. No woman would ever do that. That man shouldn't do that. That's disrespectful to her. He's rude. You know, and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it will work until he gets really annoyed by how much I talk. I didn't yeah. start leaving the room when my mom, you know, was watching TV till I was in my teens. So it'll probably be around the same time that he just bails out. It'll be sooner. I have a seven-year-old who's oh, getting no. up and leaving now. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, you yeah. don't have to watch this. When I explained that there was a problem with Prince Philip and Sleeping Beauty, she was like, I'm going to go read. Go. She just, like, got it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a valuable reaction, too, for her to be like, yeah. he's not worth me watching then. Yeah. Mm. I wasn't angry. No. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Jeannie, we kind of skipped over. Is there any character that you go in, like uh, that you would go into if you were like saving the day? You know who it is for me. Um, it is uh, it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer when she gets a job working uh, the counter at the fast food restaurant Double the Meat Double Palace. Meat Palace. Yes. Oh, God. Uh, because oh that is a Buffy who uh, is the chosen one 
but can't make enough money to keep her mom's house and to help her sister. And it's a Buffy who doesn't know how to do that job. And um, it is, for some reason, very helpful to me to think that if someone as brave and as incredibly capable as Buffy can walk into a job and be like, I have literally no idea what I'm supposed to do, and I'm terrified, but I need to do this, I can also do the same thing. Mm. Yeah. 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 that one. <laughs> Can I just say like one of the things that I love about Buffy is that she lets you know that it's okay to win by losing. Mm. And particularly I think it is that season yeah. where she realizes the only way I'm going to win is this is by dying. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a woman's tale. It's yeah. yeah. We could do a whole other episode only about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, I'd have oh my to watch god. It. I know. Oh, you I love. Know. I know. Don't leave. <laughs> Don't leave. Don't leave. No, I'm Don't just kidding, because Melanie doesn't look at me as all. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. We've got to forgive you. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, I remember, Have you watched I Aliens yet? Imposter Syndrome. I watched, no, I watched the same one of you watch from Aliens. I did not watch, I'm afraid, so I'm afraid of things. That's just a thing. If my brother was here, my older brother would say, all of us are afraid of things. Our whole family's afraid of things. So... <laughs> We don't watch scary movies like at all. And then again, my parents are in their 60s. Like, in their, my dad, my mom is 70, my dad would be 80. So there's a really intense gap of like what pop culture meant mm. to them. Do you know what I mean? They were listening to like John Coltrane when people were watching Terminator. They did not care about the, they did not care. Yeah. Yeah. Willow Wilson and Melanie McFarland, thank you both so much. This has been. Thank you. You know, I. I cannot stop thinking about what Willow Wilson said, that superheroes are these great models for bystander action. I just, I love that so much. For real, for real. And, you know, I left thinking a lot about Halle Berry and how, you know, as a black woman, (laughs) I shouldn't be dogging out my sister. Like, given the opportunity to really shine, I mean, Halle Berry created what she did in John Wick 3, (laughs) which Carolina's let me know is amazing. (laughs) That's really interesting. I haven't seen that movie. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up BTSW for now. Mm-hmm. For now. So just for now, because we're not really going anywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we're still in the Facebook group and on Twitter and Insta at BTSW Podcast. Yep. So please stay in touch, everybody. Keep telling people about the show and keep sending us your show ideas. We really are going to keep creating. So we need your help. <laughs> um, this show feels like a real community. And it's because you all are so great and so engaged and so smart. Yes. Don't doubt yourselves ever. Yes. So let's keep on talking. Yes, please. Okay. Well, bye for now, Eula. Oh, no, 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 no. That sounded so sad. <laughs> well, Jeannie, we can't say bye until we pledge our allegiance to the battle, my dear. Okay. So in this long, right, shaky, right, unstable, mm, not so covert, uphill fight against workplace sexism. If I pulled my load, will you pull yours? Oh, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. That is the right note to say goodbye on just for now. Mm-hmm. So bye for now, Eula Scott Bino. Bye, Jeannie Yandel. <laughs> bye for now, Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Bye, Caroline Chamberlain Gomez with all the names. Amazing. You're the amazing greatest. Amazing superhero producer. BTSW has been a production of KUOW in Seattle. Our senior producer is Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Special thanks to everyone who made that live event possible. Charlotte Duran, Rob Jacob Springer, Michaela Giannotti, Bridget Anderson, 
And once again, of course, Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, because nothing happens without her. Nothing. Yes. Brendan Sweeney is KUOW's Director of New Content and Innovation. Special thanks to Michaela Kiner and Ruchika Tulshian, who have been advising us all season. This podcast was inspired by the book Feminist Fight Club, written by Jessica Bennett. Our theme music was composed by Cassia Gordon. Our graphics designer is Tio Popescu. I'm Jeannie Yandel. I'm Yula Scott Bino. Keep up the good fight. See you soon. We promise. We promise.